Great. Do take a seat. Uh, hello and welcome. Uh, if you weren't here when we started, it's, uh, it's great to have you here now. My name is Andy and I'm part of the team uh, at Soul Survivor Watford. So it's, uh, it's a joy for me to be let out of Watford, just even for a couple of hours, uh, to come somewhere much nicer and um, yeah, to spend a bit of time together. And I just, uh, I'm going to launch straight in. I've got my little stopwatch here, so I'm going to make sure I don't talk for ages. Um, but uh, I, was, I was having a conversation with somebody after church a couple of weeks ago who had been really ill um, during one of the lockdowns. And uh, not with COVID, but with something pretty serious. And he was just telling me about um, a phrase that a medical professional had used with him uh, when he was having a conversation with them. And he just said, a lot of us have been experiencing stealth stress. And that phrase just really stuck with me um, for the last fortnight, stealth stress. And, and what he was getting at was at the fact that um, we may well not all be in this place. I know we're probably definitely not all in this place, but, but some of us are, which is that we're just still feeling pretty weary. And, uh, he, you know, this, this professional was just saying, look, we had two years of not knowing what was coming next, of we think it's all over, and then it's like, oh, no, it's definitely not. And uh, what's happening with the restrictions where we literally had a death count on the news uh, every day, where we, uh, the things that replenish us were taken away from us to the point where, do you remember this? Where the highlight of the day was, I get to go for my walk now around the block. And, that, and I'll wave at some people through a window. That was, that was our life for like a long time. And uh, we had to deal with that. And then on top of that, all the other stresses um, that just life throws at you. And he was just saying, partly because of that, not all of us, but many of us feel emotionally quite weary. And I can relate to that. And um, for me, one of the giveaways is that when I think I'm doing fine, and then something will happen, and I will massively overreact to it. And uh, that for me is like a clue. Oh, okay. Um, there's probably not as much in the tank as I, as I, as I thought. And Part of the solution to this, for me, what I, I often try and do when I see that I'm in a, not a great headspace, is I, um, I beat myself up about it. And I say, Andy, you just got to get it together. You just got to try harder and you got to push through. And um, I don't know if any of you can relate to that as a strategy, but my experience of, of uh, implementing it is it doesn't really work very well. Um, and I've been finding um, just bit by bit over the last couple of years that if there is a key... And obviously, we've got to be practical on lots of levels about it. But if there is one practical thing we can do above all others, it is genuinely to get to know Jesus better, to, to know him as he is. And, um, you know, before we look in the mirror and before we look at our stress and we look at solutions for that and things like that, it's look at him and see who he is. And um, I just want to talk about Jesus again tonight. And there are things that I want to say that I know won't be new. Um, probably most of it is not going to be new. But, but if you are anything like me, what you find is that I've, we forget about what he's like. There are parts of his character that, you know, we, we know it, but we've forgotten it. And um, obviously to look at Jesus, you can go anywhere in the Bible, but my favorite place always to go is uh, are the four Gospels. And I kind of think of the four Gospels a little like um, the four films, the four movies of Jesus's life. And they are obviously telling us the same story 
about the same person. The plot is the same. But they're directed by four different directors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And because of that, they each are bringing out different aspects of who Jesus is. And so if you can imagine with me for a moment that we are sitting together on a giant sofa and we pick up the TV control and we're just going to do some channel hopping. But first of all, we put on the TV and we're watching uh, Jesus as directed by Matthew. And I'm just going to look at the way that each of them, they introduce us to Jesus, how they kind of set the whole thing up. And um, Matthew, if he, uh, if he was directing a film, he, he has definitely chosen possibly the most boring introduction to any film uh, that it could ever have, particularly given this is the opening of his gospel. It is also the opening of the entire New Testament. Allow me to read you a little bit of Matthew chapter 1. So this is how he starts. This is... The genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. I won't read you the whole chapter because you'll be dead by the time I finish, but it's a basically that, right? This is like you go to the cinema to watch the latest Marvel film and it starts with the credits. That's how, that's how this reads. It's just a long list of names. And we can think, oh, what a boring way to start. But actually that's because we don't understand the, the, the context in this which this was written. So for the Jews at that time, they were, they were under an occupying Roman power and they were longing for someone to set them free. And God had promised them a saviour called the Messiah, the anointed one, who was going to be the king, the ruler that was going to come. And one of the huge things about um, the, the Messiah was that he was going to be a descendant of the great king, David. And so what Matthew's doing, just one of the things he's doing in this introductory chapter is he's helping us to see that Jesus is, is from the line of David. He is David's great, 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 great grandson. And it starts with that, and then the scene changes and it comes to Joseph. So Mary doesn't actually feature much in Matthew's gospel. It's all about Joseph. And the thing about Joseph, we're told, is that it's Joseph, the son of David. His actual dad's name is Jacob, but he's from the line of David, and that's the point that's emphasised. Then the scene changes again, and we find ourselves in Bethlehem, and you think, big deal, Bethlehem. Back in the day, Bethlehem was the back end of nowhere. It was the ancient equivalent of Milton Keynes. And you think, why would anybody want to be born in Bethlehem? This is not a cultural centre like London or Watford, known for its culture. You know, this is like, this, is, this isn't the Jerusalem of the time. This is the, back, the Milton Keynes. Why Bethlehem? And of course, the answer to that is if we track back in the Old Testament to Bethlehem, what we find is that's the place David is from. That's the place David was anointed to be, the king. And then the scene changes again and we find ourselves with the Magi, the wise men. And uh, it's not the shepherds in Matthew, it's all about the Magi. And the Magi come looking for a king and they, they, they turn up in Herod's palace and, uh, you know, they go to Herod, who has this reputation for being a very nasty piece of work. And they say, oh, hello, we're the wise men. We're looking for the new king. Do you know where he might be? At this point, you have to wonder just how wise were the wise men. But well, there we go. They go to Herod the psychopath and they say, we're looking for the new king. And obviously, uh, you know, as the story goes on, they find themselves in Bethlehem and then they meet uh, Jesus. And, you know, if you've ever seen... Um, people meet like a little baby or a little toddler, that it's a human instinct, the way that we do it. We go up to these little babies and we just go, it's a baby, 
little baby. And we go, little baby. And we give them a little squeeze like this, right? That's how we treat babies. And these guys come to the baby and then they bow. They fall on their faces before him and they give him these gifts because they see not just a baby, but they see what Matthew's trying to help us to see about Jesus, which is they see a king. And the start of this, this film, for me, it feels like when you go into, you know, like a, a nursery, someone's got their own little baby in their house and you go into the nursery for the baby and, and the dad supports Man United and it's obvious and there's like Man United wallpaper and the baby's dressed in little Man United baby grow and it's got like a Ronaldo teddy bear there and it's got like a shrine to Alex Ferguson and the glory days over in the corner and you go into that and what are you going to think? You think, I think this baby is probably going to be supporting Man United when it gets older. It's like we walk into this film and what we hear is that he's the great grandson of David and there's Joseph, the son of David and there's Bethlehem where David's from and there's the wise men looking for a king and we see this baby and what it says to us is, hang on a second, I think this baby might be a king when he grows up and as it turns out, he's not just any king but he is the king of kings and, and in the last couple of years, there have been times as I've had, I'm sure you have, where I have doubted his rule and I have questioned what he's up to. And then there are moments where it just, it just reminds me who really holds the universe in the palm of his hand. Um, for me, one of them was just literally this morning. So we're at our church in Watford this morning. And there's this, um, this guy who came to our church a couple of, I don't know, must be about six months ago now. Um, not a Christian, never been to church before in his life turns up and I ended up chatting with him a couple of weeks in a row and getting his number and we arranged to meet up but it never happened but part of his story was he he was very angry and he was into all sorts cage fighting and a whole load of other stuff and he came looking for God and um, and then he just drifted away and disappeared and then he texted me uh, just before our 11:30 service this morning saying can I come along and I said of course you can so he turns up and I go over to him before the service and I say how's it going and he said not very well and he said, um, the last time I came here, I was looking for answers and I felt like I got them. Um, this time I've come back and I'm looking for answers. But he said, my life has gone horribly wrong. And you need to know that if, if I don't get answers, these are literally his words, if I don't get answers, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to kill myself today. He said, it's either God gives me a sign or it's death. And I look at my watch and it's two minutes before the service begins. And so I say, okay. Um, thank you for telling me. And I said, let's chat after the service. And then I go and I, you know, introduce the service. And then in the worship, I'm just like, Lord, you need to meet, you need to do something. Like you need to meet him. And so, you know, I'm just praying. But well, I'm thinking this is completely beyond any of our control. This guy was serious. And, and then what happened was during the worship, it was just this, this person texted me who's part of our church. She's a school teacher. Every now and then in the church, we give opportunity for people to share words. But at this point, we hadn't given any opportunity to share any words. But she just texted me um, during the worship, having me not said to anybody what, what this guy had told me. And she said, um, I'm not sure if this is the Lord, but it popped into my head before Mike read the passage. And the passage that we had read this morning was the, the jailer at Philippi, where um, the jail breaks open and he thinks all the prisoners have escaped, and so he decides he's going to kill himself. And Paul calls out, don't kill yourself, don't harm yourself, 
we're all here. So before Mike read that passage, this popped into her head. And then after he read the passage, she thought she sent me the message. So she just said, I've got a word. And she said, it's a man with suicidal thoughts. She wondered if it was a name. It wasn't his name, but uh, she said, a man with suicidal thoughts. The word was clear. And then it was echoed by the words from the Bible. Do not harm yourself. We are here for you. And he is here for you. I read that during the notices. And I wanted to go straight to him and say, here's your sign, buddy. Um, but I didn't get the chance. And so uh, when, we, when we had space for people to share prophetic words, Becca, who sent me the message, shared it. And at that point, I was able to go over to him and say, you know what, if this isn't a sign from the Lord for you, I don't know what is. And he, he was broken by it. And then we got a bunch of the team praying with him. He ended up having lunch with one of our pastors earlier, and I haven't heard the rest. Now, he's on a journey. But it was, for me, it was, again, it was a reminder of, you are the king of kings. You, you do, there is no inch of the universe over which you have not written the word mine. You are in charge. And I don't understand why you let certain things happen. There are things that confuse me. But I never want to question the fact that you do reign. Pick up the TV remote, change the channel. Jesus, as directed by Mark. Now, if Mark was directing films today, I put it to you that he would be directing action movies because this is how Mark reads. And uh, I don't know if you've ever read the start of Mark, but this is how he begins. Um, this is Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Boom. And then that is it. We're off to the races. So, uh, you know, Jesus does not have time to be born in this gospel. There are no magi. There are no shepherds. He just turns up as a 30-year-old man. And what he's doing uh, right from the start is he is, he's just, he's there to serve. And when, when someone's there to serve, you know, if you get to a restaurant and some waiter comes over, you don't say, can you tell me your family tree? Like that matters if somebody's royalty, but if they're there to do a job, you don't ask, right? And Jesus is here to do a job. So he's here to set people free. And the way that he serves is, is he does these things that nobody should be able to do. And so just read through a little bit of Mark. Mark chapter one, this guy who's, who's got leprosy comes to Jesus. You know, this is, incurable condition. He's going to have to socially distance for the rest of his life. And then he meets the Lord and the Lord sets him free in a moment. And then Mark chapter two, you have a guy who's paralyzed. So his whole world is reduced to a bed. That's his future until his friends carry him on the mat and they lower him in front of the Lord. And the Lord tells him to get up and walk. And his future goes from lying down to, to, to leaping around. And then Mark chapter three, there's this guy with a withered hand in the synagogue, not a broken hand, a withered one. And the Lord speaks a word to him and it becomes whole. Mark chapter four, the disciples are on a boat in Galilee and they're terrified because they think they're going to die in the middle of the storm. And the Lord, after he wakes up, it takes him a while, but after he wakes up, he just with a word calms the whole thing and it's still as a mill pond. Mark chapter 5, he lands on the shore and there's a guy who runs screaming towards him because he's full of demons and he's self-harming. And Jesus, in a word, makes him whole. He restores him to his right mind. Same chapter, Jesus is walking through a crowd and this woman who's got a problem with bleeding that she's had for 12 years and just picture her life, just her hope draining away. 
year after year after year, even as her money did, and she got nowhere, no hope of healing. And then she comes up to Jesus in the crowd. She doesn't have a conversation with him. She doesn't touch his hand. She literally touches the edge of his coat. And as she touches it, she's healed. While that's happening, Jesus is meant to be on his way to heal a little girl who's dying. But while this is going on, she dies. And so he turns up at her house and it's not that she's on death's door. She's gone through the door and closed it behind her. She's dead. And Jesus says to everybody in the house, she's not dead, she's just asleep. And they laugh at him and they say, you don't know what you're talking about. And then he walks upstairs into her bedroom and wakes her up in the same way that I wake my kids up for breakfast. Hey, honey, it's time to get up, have something to eat. Time and again and again. This isn't he serves in the sense that he's come to make us a cup of tea and help us carry our shopping. And those things are very nice. But this is like it transforms. And I remember years ago now seeing this advertising campaign by Adidas. And it had all these sports stars of the time on it who would, it was all black and white and they would like Usain Bolt and Lionel Messi and they would do these things that were incredible. So, so Bolt would run the 100 meters in this unbelievable time and Lionel Messi would score a goal from the wrong end of the pitch. And after they did that kind of in slow motion, then on the screen it would just go black and then these three white stripes would come up and the word Adidas. And then it would say, impossible is nothing. And I remember thinking when I saw that, I must buy myself some of this Adidas. You know, I'm going to try this out. So I spent some money on Adidas. And do you know what I found is no matter how much Adidas I wore, I still couldn't run the 100 meters very fast. No matter how much I was wearing, I still couldn't score the goal from the wrong end of the pitch. What I found was with Adidas, impossible is still in fact impossible. But there is one for whom... That phrase applies. With him, impossible really is nothing. And so a question that I've been asking myself is, and I put it to you, what is your impossible? Is it anorexia? Is it anxiety? Is it the finances as we look at what's coming? Is it a relationship that's gone wrong? Is it a child who's far from God? What is your impossible? Because for him, impossible is nothing. And he comes, the king, to serve us and transform our lives. Pick up the remote, change the channel. Jesus, as directed by Luke. And I love the way Luke introduces us to Jesus because as the curtain comes back in this gospel, we are in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, right at the heart of it. And there's Zachariah, a priest in his 80s, going about his business uh, as a priest. And Gabriel just appears next to him. Ba-dum. And then Gabriel says to him, hey, I know that you and your wife, Elizabeth, or you're in your 80s, you've never been able to have a kid, but I'm here to tell you, good news, you're going to have a baby. And this is going to be John the Baptist. And uh, Zechariah, absolutely, I love his response to the angel because it says in verse 18 of Luke 1, Zechariah answered the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Roughly translated, that is, how can I be sure of this? Because I'm old and have you seen my wife? You know, I'm old, but she is well along in years. Like, really, Gabriel? Like, how can I know? And Gabriel's response to him is just so dead about it. He just says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, right? So it's like, how can I be sure of this? 
because I'm the angel flipping Gabriel, you moron, right? That's how I can be sure. And then he's like, and that's such a stupid thing to say. You're not allowed to talk anymore. You're going to have to be dumb for until, until John the Baptist is born. I'm going to give your wife, Elizabeth, the best gift she's ever received, which is you are not allowed to speak for nine months. So Zachariah, and uh, there he is in the Holy of Holies. That's how the, the gospel begins, not believing what Gabriel says to him. And then the scene changes and it's Mary. And Gabriel turns up with Mary and of course it goes very differently. She believes, may it be to me as you have said. But the thing that we can sometimes forget about Mary is she is a, a peasant girl. So she's, she's got nothing. She's a teenager, she's not married, she's about to get pregnant, that's not a good thing. And, uh, you know, in, in society in those days, and, you know, we see how it plays out it, when royalty is born. They're born in Chelsea. They're born in Knightsbridge. You know, OK Magazine are there. They get given, you know, diamonds for rattles. It's like, it's like mad, right? She, think about this, she cannot even give him a room in an inn. For a bed, all she can do, the best she can do, is this thing that the animals eat from. That's all she's got for him. And then the scene changes and there's the shepherds, my favourites. And the shepherds are out there, you know, and again, on the social ladder in those days, shepherds are very low. And these guys are not just shepherds. We're told that they are night watch shepherds. So they're so thick, they can only look after sheep when the sheep are asleep. And they don't have a clue what is going on. So one of the things that, you know, the wise men have been following this star for goodness knows how many miles and the shepherds are camped beneath it and they have no idea what is happening. They are literally round the corner from the baby and they've got no clue. And God's like, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'll send Gabriel or whoever, I'll send some backup dancers and a whole choir of angels. So they do a full concert for the shepherds in the midst of the stars. And that is the moment that the shepherds are like, do you know what? I think something's happening tonight. I think we should go and find out. Let's go and see what they're talking about, right? And that's when they go down the road and they find the baby. So they've got no clue. So how does this gospel star? Who, who are we meeting when we're introduced ultimately to Jesus? We meet Zachariah, who doesn't believe anything. Mary, who doesn't have anything. And the shepherds, who don't know anything. And you can think, God, what a bunch of Muppets. Like, why these people? Why are you starting with these people? Until you realise that what's happening when we look at them is we are, in fact, looking in a mirror. And we're looking at our own doubt. And I've got plenty of it sometimes. And we're looking at the fact that there's nothing we have that's worthy of him. And we feel that keenly some days. And we're looking at our complete ignorance. God, I've got no idea what you're up to right now. I don't understand. But, but the point is always, he's the gift to us. This is the gospel that calls him the friend of sinners. He comes to be the friend of the lost, the friend of those who are ashamed, the friend of those who feel like they've let him down. He's the gift to us. And we feel so often, don't we, like we need to deserve him somehow, that we need to perform in some way. And I don't know how many times he's had to say the same thing to me, which is, it's not about what you can bring, Andy. It's about what I give to you. I'm the gift to you. Jesus, as directed by John.
Um, if Matthew is trying to show us that Jesus is the king and Mark is trying to help us see that Jesus is the servant who comes to break our chains off, and if Luke wants us to see that Jesus is the friend of the lost and the broken, John, he wants us to see that Jesus is God. Now, Jesus is God in all four Gospels. He's the king in all four Gospels. It's just a matter of emphasis. But John, this is one of the things he wants us to get. And I don't know if you've been seeing the news the last couple of weeks where there's been all this stuff about that telescope that's up there taking pictures of the universe, the James Webb telescope it's called. But that kind of thing just fascinates me. And I've actually got some pictures that I want to show you now. Can we get the first one on the screen? This is um, some of the photos that have been coming back. This one's called the Carina Nebula. And it is, uh, it's 7,600 light years from Earth, which Google tells me one light year is about 6 trillion miles. So basically, it's very far away from Earth. And those pink bits and those sort of orangey bits, they are clouds of dust. Basically, this is a place where stars are born in the universe. Those orange bits themselves are several light years tall. Here's another picture that it sent back. Uh, this one is a cluster of five galaxies, 290 million light years away from where we're sitting right now. And each one of those galaxies on there is itself hundreds of millions of stars. And I remember when I saw this for the first time, I thought all those sort of lights in the background, you know, the tiny little sparks, I thought they were just stars in the background until I found out that each of those sparks in the background is itself a galaxy. So you think it's a star and then you find out it's actually just a really, really far away galaxy that again wants, is itself hundreds of millions of stars. Here's the next one, it's my favorite one. This one is like a picture of deep space. This is as far as we've ever seen into the universe. And some of the galaxies, every single one of those dots in there is a galaxy. Some of them are 13.6 billion light years away. And just in that one photo, which is really a postage stamp of the night sky, just a tiny little section of it, there are thousands of galaxies and, and billions of stars just in that single photo. And so you think, if God wants to tell me he loves me, the sky is not even the limit for him. I mean, there's anything he could do. He could, like, he, he could, he could I don't know, make the Carina Nebula look like a heart. Or he could um, write, I love you, Andy, with the stars. That's just a suggestion. Or he could make them sing a song. There's so much God could do to say, I love you. And instead, he does this. He couldn't make himself any bigger to impress us. And so what he does is he makes himself smaller to lovers. If John were a director today, I fancy he would be directing Star Wars. I don't know if you've seen how those films begin, but it's the stars, right? And then there's yellow writing. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Da, 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 da. You know, it's like that sort of thing. And, and uh, you know, I just picture John in his old age sitting there with a parchment in front of him and his quill, dipping it in the ink and just thinking, how should I start? How can I describe him? And then it hits him. In the beginning. And you notice how they all start a little bit earlier than each other. So Mark starts with Jesus as a 30-year-old man. And Matthew goes a little earlier and starts with the birth of Jesus. And Luke goes a little earlier than Matthew and starts with the birth of John the Baptist. And John goes just a tiny bit earlier than Luke and starts at the beginning of all time. And what he's doing when he says those words is, of course, he's echoing the first words of, the, of, of Scripture, Genesis. 
in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But John writes, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And of all the truths of the Christian faith, this is for me one that I just struggle to get my head around. I don't know if you've ever seen a little baby breathing, but they breathe quickly. They breathe quicker than we do. Just up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And I imagine Mary there watching her little baby breathe, just like any mother has ever watched their baby, just with one tiny little difference. And that is that somehow the breaths that this baby is breathing breathed the stars into space. Have you ever had it where a baby wraps their chubby little hand around one of your fingers and it takes their whole hand just to cover one pinky of yours? And Mary would have had it, same as any other mother, with the one difference that somehow, and I don't understand the mystery of it, but that same little hand, we're told in the scripture, measures the universe by its span. Which of these things have we forgotten about him? What is God like? He is the king. He rules and he reigns. He is the servant. For him, our impossibles are nothing. He is the friend of the broken and the lost. Overwhelming compassion pours out from him anytime you come close and touch him. And he is God Almighty. Switch it off. That, by the way, that's just the introduction. You should try watching the whole films sometime. They are amazing. Now, I don't want to spoil it for you, but there is a massive twist at the end. You think it's gone wrong? Turns out it hasn't. But you can find out more when you read it. Um, but this is who we worship. This is who we follow. And this is who is here with us right now.